Welcome to Market Scales, The Trust Revolution, How Trust Unlocks the Future. Hosted by the CEO of White Fox Defense, a global leader in drone airspace security, here's technology entrepreneur, Luke Fox. Hello, and welcome to The Trust Revolution. Today, we're going to explore how living in a disposable world where things just break down, they slow down, and we go throw them away, buy a new model. How that might just be a carefully crafted scheme to make billions of dollars for big tech. And today joined with us is Kyle Weens, who's a pioneer fighting for the rights of consumers for the right to repair. Kyle Weens is the co-founder of iFixit, the repair community internationally known for open source repair manuals and product teardowns iFixit has empowered hundreds of millions of people around the world to repair their broken stuff. Kyle has testified before the U.S. Copyright Office and the International Trade Commission, and he is involved in developing global environmental standards. He also started Zuki, a knowledge management software company for manufacturers. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Luke. Really excited to be here. Well, so Kyle, what is what is this problem that we're talking about? We talk about right to repair. Don't we have a right, you know, go and fix things? What, why, why is that? Why do we need a right? Well, increasingly, uh, it's very challenging to fix things. Uh, you might have a, a problem, you might have, say, a, a phone where you need a new battery, and the manufacturers flat out won't sell you a battery. Like Apple will not sell you a new battery to put in an iPhone yourself. Uh, and so, if you're not near an Apple store, uh, what do you do? Um, and, and this is the case increasingly across a broad spectrum of technologies where manufacturers are, are using their monopoly of manufacturing a product to create a monopoly for themselves in service. And so, you know, the, these manufacturers are then saying, like, I remember going back, you know, when I was growing up, I had, uh, or maybe even just 10 years ago, you go buy a cell phone and the battery dies or you just pop a new battery right. in. And now it seems we it's almost like we don't even think about the fact that you can't really do anything with an iPhone. Like the screen breaks, the I, the battery dies, uh, or even slows down. And what do you do? Right. Uh, and it's it's crazy that you pretty much can't buy a phone without a battery integrated. And these batteries are not designed to last longer than eighteen months, two years on the outside. Uh, and so that drives upgrade cycles where, you know, honestly, is what's like, could you tell me the difference between an iPhone 10 and an iPhone 12? No, <laughs> I can't. That's why I still have the iPhone 7. The number is different, <laughs> right? But I mean, maybe the camera's a little better. But honestly, an iPhone 10 is a perfectly fine phone. It's going to be a uh, continue to be a perfectly fine phone for the next handful of years. Um, but because the battery is integrated, uh, anyone who bought an iPhone 10 two years ago, their batteries are wearing out. They, they need a new battery. Uh, and of course, it used to be uh, something you know that you just popped in and out. Now they're glued in. It's a little bit of effort. Uh, so I like to say that that gluing the batteries into phones is kind of like welding the tires onto a car. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, nice Corvette, uh, but after the tires were out, you're going to have to pitch it and buy a new one. That's absolutely preposterous, right? But that's sort of the situation that we're in with a lot of consumer electronics. Absolutely. And I know recently there was, a, or maybe it was last year in Canada, where this was brought forth in legislation after exactly what happened with an iPhone. 
right, where the legislator ran into that issue. Right. Well, Apple got caught slowing down phones. So, yeah, it, it's so funny because our family members come to us and say, hey, you know, I have an older phone that's running slower. Is this planned obsolescence? And all of us in the technologies world were saying, no, absolutely not. The manufacturers aren't aren't that evil. It's all in your head, right? And then it yeah. turns out that Apple was doing that, that if you had an older battery, they were throttling the, the processor. And so they, by throttling the processor, it slows the phone down. And then where does that lead? Well, and then you're like, look, you know, my phone's not running as fast as it used to. The battery doesn't last as long. Maybe I'll just get a new one is, is what it has driven to. And this is not like conspiracy theory from Kyle. Uh, Tim Cook said this in their earnings after they got caught and after people started swapping their batteries. He said that their iPhone sales went down because uh, people realized <laughs> that they didn't need new phones uh, so often. So we're, we're on this treadmill of consumption where we just have to be buying new things all the time. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that does, uh, obviously it's, it's good for the technology companies, but I don't think it's the best thing for consumers. Okay. And so other than just having this, this, this dignified right that makes me feel like I'm empowered over my phone, let's just walk through that process. So I go out, my phone slows down. I hand over a wad of cash to Apple. Apple's now happy. I now have a phone and then I talk, I toss it in you know, toss it in a drawer, toss it in the garbage. Like, why is, what is that the bigger issue there? Yeah, so, I mean, a handful of things. One is, it's just kind of a waste to have a perfectly usable phone uh, not, not being used. Uh, but also, there, there's an environmental impact. Most of, the, most of the environmental impact of our electronics is all at manufacturing time. These things are made in China. It's usually coal power that fires, uh, that, that you know, runs the power plants that manufacture these things. Uh, it's over 200 pounds of raw material dug out of the ground. So I've got I've got a photo here of the Mountain Pass rare earth mine uh, out by uh, uh, Vegas. Uh, the most rare earths uh, that are in your phone, that could be the neodymium that goes in the magnet in your phone. Most of them come from some of the most polluting uh, mines in the world. The mining in California actually got shut down in the 90s for spilling radioactive waste all over the Avampa Valley outside uh, Las Vegas. When you mine rares, you tend to also mine radioactive elements, and it's it's very challenging. So there's there's environmental costs to, to manufacturing these things, uh, but then there's also just a, a you know a practical cost to consumers of you know why why don't these things retain their value a little better? That's that's fascinating. I think when we think about, or at least when I personally think about e-waste, I think about well, I'm just not going to throw the the old phone away. You know, I'll put it in a drawer. I'm saving the environment. But just by consuming a new phone, yeah. that's you're saying that's the majority. The damage thing. was done when you bought it in the first place. Yeah. Mm, and every time you buy it, an upgrade. At, right. Absolutely. And so what, what we need to do, we need to step back and say, looking at the planet, you know, we've got we've got uh, 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, how many new phones do we need to be manufacturing every year? Because I would say access to telecommunications, access to a smartphone is probably a fundamental human right. We all need them. Um, but we all don't need a new one every year. Uh, what is the right lifespan for a phone? Hmm. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating. You mentioned, you know, the, the really human right to have that technology. It's because so many services are dependent on cell phones. Uh, so many, our lives are built around the ability to access people and, um, and service government services. I'm, I'm curious as you look at this problem, like what inspired you to get into this? What has made this your life passion and, and what has brought you to the point where you are 
the world's one of the world's leading foremost experts and pioneers of this right to repair? Well, it always starts with a problem. So in my case, I was a computer science student at Cal Poly, uh, just down the road here. And I uh, I had an iBook that I had. I mean, this is like my life savings had gone into this laptop for college, right? And I dropped it on the power plug uh, and it was it was loose. And I knew it was just a, a loose solder joint. So I, I, I said, well, I'll fix this myself. I just need instructions on how to take it apart. And I knew what Apple service manuals looked like. And I started searching for them online and I couldn't find them. Uh, so I went through the kind of torturous process of figuring it out myself. And, you know, the first time you open anything, it's hard. <laughs> Maybe you break things because you don't know exactly how it goes together. Uh, and uh, afterwards, I, I did some research. I, I, I was able to fix the computer. Uh, okay, success. Success. Uh, but I was like, why was this so hard? And it turned out that everyone that had posted Apple service manuals had gotten a nasty letter from Apple's lawyers saying, we don't want you to do that. Uh, and I found that intensely frustrating. So we said, well, let's just create our own service manuals and, and replace theirs. Uh, and so we did that. And by the time I graduated, we were totally comprehensive with every product that Apple uh, made. Right. I fix it. That's I fix it. Yeah. Okay. So we I fix it had right. We had re, re, well, disassembled every product Apple made and published service manuals. Wow. Um, Apple is now one of the only manufacturers with complete online free open source service documentation for all of their products. Because of back. who? Because of us, because <laughs> because we did it either for them or to them, depending on how you feel about it. Wow. Uh, and we've helped hundreds of millions of Apple's customers maintain their products and make them last longer. And so does that does that solve this issue? Like, is it simply like, well, I fix it is this rogue arm or not rogue, but this like crowdsourced <laughs> army that's that's fixing the problem. And so therefore, right to repair isn't needed. In many respects with Apple products, we've done a pretty good job and we've, we've addressed the issue. The problem is the number of other products. At the Consumer Electronics Show every year, they introduce 20,000 new gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> so we just can't keep up. There's over 5,000 different Android smartphones on the market. And like buying every single one, disassembling it, taking it apart, writing a service manual, uh, it, it's not viable for uh, the consumers to be doing work that the manufacturers should be doing. So... I fix it's trying valiantly and we have, you know, we're certainly the largest service manual in the world now, um, but we still can't keep up with the pace of new product introductions. Fascinating. It's it's incredible just the amount of scale that uh, that you've uh, you've accomplished in that and how it's still just a fraction of the, what's overall needed. But beyond service manuals, what else is involved in in order to ensure that people can repair things? Yeah, so kind of three legs to the right to repair stool. You need you need the information, uh, but you also need the tools. Um, you know, the iPhone has a special screwdriver that Apple invented just to make it hard to open. <laughs> uh, uh, you may need software tools. Um, oftentimes, parts are calibrated uh, to the device, so you need the software tool to pair a new part to program it. Like, uh, I, I, can, I can physically give you a new home button for your iPhone. Um, but I cannot uh, program it to make it work. You need a special software tool that Apple has, uh, and then and then parts. So so it's information tools and parts are are what right to repair is all about. Uh, and this is not a new concept. Uh, we've had right to repair laws in in the United States for quite a while. Um, Massachusetts has uh, has passed uh, updated automotive right to repair laws as recently as as this last September. They updated it. Um, and that, that's those laws are what make it so that your local mechanic down the street here 
can fix uh, modern cars and trucks. So we, we have like the automotive industry, the automotive repair industry in the U.S. is heavily dependent on right to repair laws. We just don't have those protections for consumer electronics, medical equipment, farm equipment. Right. And cause, or else everybody, I mean, just imagine a world where we only could repair our vehicles by taking them to the manufacturer, to the actual dealer. Uh, and this isn't too far-fetched, right? Right. No, absolutely. This is where, this is the trend. This is where things are going. And if you talk with Apple, they'll say, yeah, that's, that's our model. We want you to trust us. <laughs> trust us to manage the entire life cycle of the product. Uh, and, and we're sitting over here saying, well, your model works much of the time, but it shouldn't be the only option that, that, that people have. Uh, I think most of us probably take our cars to get fixed by someone other than the dealer. It's nice to know that the dealer is there, that that's an option, but we know that there is competition and, and all, uh, you know, I generally use the independent local mechanic. Um, uh, and if you get stuck or can't figure something out, maybe the dealer is an option. But the presence of independent mechanics also keeps the dealers honest and, and keeps them providing a high level of service. So competition in general is good for the market. Right. So that competition and really open sourcing the entire that entire process not uh, having it be this closed off you know only those who are selected by apple or by the manufacturer to do it creates that trust where you know transparency into what's happening exactly right yeah the manufacturers want a contract with whoever's doing the service that's that's what authorized service means all it means is that the you know they signed the contract saying uh, you know stipulating exactly how they're going to operate their business uh, the contract that Apple makes their authorized uh, uh, service centers sign says that they can't do certain repairs. They can't do data recovery on a phone. So if you drop your phone uh, in water, you get water damage and you want to just recover the data. Um, the authorized Apple centers are not allowed to recover that for you where the independent shops can't. Wow. So their hands are tied when they're beholden to the companies. But it's not just phones. It's not just Apple. You know, we're harping on them. Like, what else does this apply to? I mean, you mentioned there's all these consumer electronics coming out every single year. Right. I mean, this is so the, the electronics right to repair bills that are being introduced around the, the country. There's 22 states, I think, have introduced bills so far this year. They're broad. They apply to pretty much everything with electronics in them. Um, one area of particular interest right now with the pandemic is medical equipment. Uh, it turns out I, I mentioned that you have to have fancy software or passwords to do repairs. Well, ventilators are in that category. Oh my! Uh, we've heard from a lot of hospitals where they're struggling to fix the ventilators. They can't get the the manufacturer service technicians in. The hospitals all have their own technicians. Hospitals, uh, you know, like we're here in San Luis Obispo. French Hospital has a wonderful team of biomedical technicians who do all the repairs at the hospital. They call them the they're ninjas. They repair ninjas. <laughs> uh, they're really good at what they do uh, when they have the information that they need. And so, what is what does that look like in practice? There's a ventilator it stops working. Hospital contacts. The hospital will, will uh, so if they can fix it, they'll just fix it. If they can't, then they'll reach out to the manufacturer and the manufacturer will say, well, are you on a service contract? Uh, uh, or, you know, maybe we can send somebody out. But in many cases, they have to fly someone out. Maybe there are travel restrictions. Many hospitals have put restrictions on limiting what kind of outside people can come into the hospital to protect their patients. So it's been a major, major problem. Especially when we have a ventilator shortage, and I'm sure the manufacturers are completely overwhelmed. Support, supporting these that, that we have ventilators going unused just sit and broken that's that's incredible and when we think about from the from the ventilators and then i know that there's been discussion around uh with farmers 
And like when when I think of a farmer and their equipment, I think of you know somebody with their hands all greasy, you know, fixing things and getting you know tuning their equipment and then going out into the field. Is that is that not reality? So that is the reality. Farmers farmers are fixing their equipment all day every day, um, but uh, with the newest equipment, they have very sophisticated computers on them, and uh, they will throw a error code. Uh, and so I got I got involved in, in right to repair because a local farmer, uh, Dave down off Los Angeles Valley Road, called me and said, "Hey, I'm having problems with uh, uh, code. Can you you know you, I know you're a computer guy. Can you help me with this?" Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like you know your parents called you for tech support. I, so I said, "Sure, I'll come down and see what <laughs> I can do." Well, I learned that what you need in order to uh, read that code and 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 diagnose the problem is John Deere's software tool. Um, and they, their technicians have it. They will not sell it to farmers. So this is a major challenge. Um, and uh, we, we've been asking, <laughs> farmers have been asking John Deere for the ability to get the software for a long time. And John Deere has been saying no. And so there, and it throws that air code. And, the, and then what? You know, does it just sit, the beep every once in a while? What is? Yeah. So in his case, it was a sensor on the hydraulic track. Um, and so the tractor just would not start because the sensor was saying the hydraulic track tension is wrong. So it was a safety mechanism. Turned out that it was the sensor itself that was bad, um, that everything was fine. And so, but he had to order the part. It had to get shipped from uh, it had to get shipped from Illinois, uh, right? And then he had to wait for the dealer to have time to come up and install it. And so he was down for three or four days during harvest. Big problem for him. Uh, and all he wanted to do was, he said, look, I know it's a bad sensor. Can I just bypass the sensor? Can I just turn that sensor off? Right. <laughs> um, which is the kind of thing, it, if it was a purely mechanical situation, he would have been able to bypass it, right? But because it involves software, he couldn't. And and that's the, the macro trend that's happening is we're, we're moving from a world that was purely mechanical where you, you had the ability to do any repairs that you wanted to software where you can't without without access to you know, these, these fancy software tools that the manufacturers have. So it's, it's not a question of skill or willpower. It's, it's simply a question of ability. Right. They're, they're handcuffed and that's, it's fascinating, especially when we, when we consider that these problems are probably coming up when the farmers need it the most, like you said, during harvest and being down for three, four days during harvest, especially for a small farm, that could be devastating for their entire year's income. Right. Yeah, no, it's a it's a real problem. I mean, the the there was a hearing um, this week in Nebraska, and the farmer said, "Look, you know, if if I'm trying to harvest and I can't because I, it throws a code, and I have to wait for the next day, and a hailstorm comes through, I go from a field of wheat to no wheat. Uh, it can be it can be absolutely devastating. Uh, often, you know, during harvest time, the dealers are overwhelmed too. So we talk about competition, right? I mean, imagine if all of a sudden." Uh, the only folks who could fix your cars were the dealers. They wouldn't have capacity. <laughs> uh, the auto dealerships only do, I think, it's something like like twenty or thirty percent of car repairs in, in the United States. The rest are done by independents. Especially when you consider if everybody's all traveling during just a couple months, right? And the most, and the rest of the time, that equipment might not even be used. Yeah. Like it's that's that's insane to th to think about, and I know that uh, there's been a lot of claims that you know people who are trying to get around the software in tractors that they're hackers, they're doing something illegal. Uh, there's but uh, U.S. government's actually responded to this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
yeah, absolutely. So there is a uh, there's an unfortunate uh, federal copyright law um, that makes it illegal to do certain kinds of work. <laughs> <laughs> as a as a uh, software engineer, this infuriates me. Uh, it's called Section 1201 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and it says it's illegal to circumvent locks on products, um, digital locks. And that the idea for this was to uh, uh, make it hard for, or illegal for people to break the encryption on DVDs. Uh, but the law was written in a very broad way, and so you could interpret it as, uh, and John Deere has interpreted it as saying, uh, you know, hey, you don't have our software, you can't make your own software to bypass that sensor because we locked down the computer, and you'd be breaking our lock in order to get in and make a change on equipment that you own. Um, so this is kind of crazy. This is like saying, you know, that it would be illegal uh, for you to, you know, change out the lock on your house or something. Um, but unfortunately, that's the law that we have. And so Congress knew this was a very aggressive law they were making. And so they built an escape hatch into the law where every three years you can ask for an exemption. Uh, and we are in the process right now of asking for exemptions for farmers for, for repair across the board for medical equipment. That's that's. It's in, it's insane to think that that's required, right? That that's just not obvious to everyone involved that you should be able to fix a ventilator when you have someone's life on the line. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and this is, you know, this is a power dynamic thing where it's it's all about kind of flow of control and manufacturers saying we are the only ones who can control what happened with the product during its entire life cycle. And the rest of us are saying, wait a second, that's not how America works. That's, you know, if I bought a chair and I want to take the chair apart and hang pieces of it on the wall or paint it purple, I can do that, right? It's mine. Right. You sold it to me. If you didn't want me to do that, you shouldn't have sold me the chair. <laughs> um and yet, uh, what we're seeing with software is all of a sudden the manufacturers have the legal ability and then therefore they're going to take advantage of it uh, to restrict what people can do with the things that they've bought. And so what 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 are the manufacturers saying? Like the there's this claim that they're saying that, you know, we want you to trust our brand, right? And, and you can't trust our brand if anybody could just, you know, destroy our brand image by making, you know, bad repairs on iPhones. Yeah, so they, they've got kind of three core arguments. Um, one argument is if people could fix their own stuff, they would hurt themselves. And you've got Apple. Apple was one around Sacramento, like showing folks the inside of an iPhone saying, see, there's the battery. And if you slip and puncture it, you could set it on fire. Uh, and what's really entertaining about this is that Apple will say, oh, well, for cars, it's no problem. People can fix their cars. That's that We're not worried about that at all. But cell phones, fixing the cell phones is dangerous. And then we've got the car companies saying, no, people hurt themselves if they fix the cars. But, yeah. uh, but if they, if we don't care if they fix you – know, right? So that it, it's it's clearly a self-serving argument. Yeah. Um, so safety is, is one argument. Another is is um, is – cybersecurity. So they'll say, if, if we have to make this diagnostic software available to um, anyone, it will undermine the whole security model of the product. And Apple told legislators in Nebraska that if they passed right to repair, it would turn Nebraska into a mecca for hackers. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, it's a good business line for Nebraska. <laughs> for, maybe Nebraska, you know, Nebraska still has a homesteading act, so they do want people to come there. So maybe not crazy. Yeah, uh, but I think you know those of us in the in the cybersecurity space just look at that and say, like, what? Because <laughs> um, if you imagine, like, if Apple's entire security model is undermined by software that the Apple genius down the street making fifteen bucks an hour has, yeah, <laughs> probably not a very good security model. That's a, that's a 
fantastic point, especially when you, yeah, it's just the, I mean, it goes back to open source, right? If you, if your whole security model is as long as we keep things secret, then everything's fine. Then at any risk of any little secret being exposed, even accidentally, everything crumbles. We can't possibly believe that that's Apple's security model. <laughs> it doesn't look good on them if it is. And what, what's the third piece? So we have safety, cybersecurity. Yeah, so the third argument is intellectual property. They'll say, hey, if we have to make the service manual available, then uh, you know the folks in China will copy our products. Uh, and, and this is kind of fascinating to people like me who have been taking apart products for a long time. Like the moment that you ship the product, it's like you know you, you've already given given that ability there's nothing in the service manual that that wouldn't uh, already be visible from from taking the thing apart um and as a matter of fact by the time they shipped the iphone 13 it's actually two years out of date like if if samsung wasn't working now on what apple's going to be releasing in two three years they're, they're going to be losing right right and those 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 uh the claim that you know china's going to start replicating things like those chinese factories already have <laughs> these uh these products they're 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 available those manuals are available in china i remember walking the streets of china in mark open markets with stacks of manuals you know very very detailed manuals so it's it's it, they're widely out there it's that's it's it's it's, it's they're honestly just pathetic arguments like it's <laughs> yes uh yeah the argument is basically we're a big company and you should do what we want so what do consumers do like what can consumers do well, so this is where we just have to, you know, believe in democracy and believe that our representatives, uh, uh, you know, are, are representing us. Um, in in the state of New York, we have two point five trillion dollars in market cap registered to lobby against right to repair. Wait, say so that two point how much? Two point five trillion dollars of market cap registered to lobby against our bill. It's insane. Right. So, uh, the, the, like the unimaginably what... large. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So the the kind of I mean, we just have to believe in democracy and believe that, you know, talking with our, our reps, that they are not corrupt, that, that this is something that can be done. Uh, and we've gotten very close. I mean, last year we had bills moving in a number of states uh, and uh, very likely could have gotten some of them passed. But then COVID happened and sort of all legislation ground to a halt. Um, but uh, we've passed out of a number of committees so far this year. And really all, all it takes, like once we get the first one, there's a domino effect, right? Um, so... We're, we're pretty optimistic. Uh, and and, and so, so what it takes is people calling their elected representatives and saying, I care about my ability to tinker. Please, you know, co-sponsor the right to repair bill. And it, and is that happening? You're, is there something happening federally? Is it just in states right now? We're, we're focused at the state level. Um, this, states are a, good, are a good place to start with something like this. Uh, right to repair. Uh, after Massachusetts passed uh, their auto right to repair bill, um, uh, the automakers actually agreed to apply the Massachusetts law nationwide. Um, so that was a that was a, a great win for the whole country. Like I'm here in California and I benefit from what the citizens of Massachusetts did. And that's partially because they don't want to sell different cars in Massachusetts than they make for the rest of the country. That makes sense. And it's it's yeah, it's interesting how one state just a, the experience of just a few people can influence a legislator in one state, which can influence the rest of the country, which then has ripple effects around the world, not just in policy, but also in our environmental impact. Yeah, and, you know, we could see if, if enough states pass right to repair, then maybe, we, you know, something could happen federally. The European Commission has passed uh, Europe-wide uh, right to repair rules, um, and we're, we're optimistic. And it, it started with appliances. We're optimistic that it will expand to smartphones over time. 
Okay, and so you bring up appliances. This is really interesting. You know, my grandma always says things aren't made the way they're used to be made. Like, yeah, is, is there truth in that? Oh, or absolutely. You... Yeah, if you want a washing machine that's going to last twenty years, go to Goodwill and get one there. <laughs> yeah, we'll quote you on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean it's fascinating. Like, I mean, uh, I went into our appliance store and I said, I want a stove that does not have a circuit board in it, and they laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, why does a stove need a circuit board? <laughs> well, that's what I was about to ask you. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, these modern, um, uh, products, uh, are not as resilient. And I mean, oftentimes it, it's, it's little things. It could be a single capacitor that goes out that causes the dishwasher to stop working. Um, it's the, it's the computers that we're adding to electronics, right? We know how long computers last. They last like five to seven years, right? We know how long we want appliances to last 20 to 30 years. But when you take a computer and you stuff it into an appliance, now the appliance lasts five to seven years. And that's what we're seeing. It uh, that's it's just unimaginable to think that you know we're we've accepted this state and it to me it you know personally and maybe for a lot of people listening it's just what you accept as you know things last a couple years phones last you know a couple cycles and it's uh it's it really is this this public trust in these manufacturers that they are making the best things possible right well, and the manufacturers, you know, they respond to market signals to some extent. So people start buying longer lasting products uh, that will that will shape things. Patagonia uh, on the clothing side, they've gone out and said, look, you know, we're going to make products that, you know, you buy it, you buy it once. You're going to pay more up front, but it's going to last you a very long time. And we'll support it with repairs and ironclad warranty. Um, and that kind of thing is really helpful. So we need more companies like that. I think Yeti is another example of a company that took a product that was basically disposable like coolers. It used to be, right? You bought a cooler and it lasted like five years and then the lid or the latch would break. Until somebody sat on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's totally worth it to pay three times more for a Yeti that's going to last 10 times longer. Mm. That's that's fascinating. Even it's it's interesting to think about this as going beyond just you know the smartphone into tractors and into appliances, but also just into these these mechanical products that don't have anything in them that don't have any electronics in them and so when we when you think about this is it like where where do you see the uh, the the public's trust in manufacturers like where how do we get that back how do we know that that i that apple as one small example isn't screwing us by making phones die on purpose or slow down and, you know, making us buy new things. Like how do they prove, how do these manufacturers prove themselves back to the public? Well, now well, the secret's out. <laughs> it, you need to support your customers throughout their product life cycle. Um, it, it's, it's very easy. You know, your manufacturer, you focus on, on the manufacturing phase, making a quality product, making it durable, making it last through the warranty period. And after the end of the warranty period, uh, it's easy to, you know, forget about that. And so we have to plan for that life cycle. And, and that means, that means planning on manufacturing more spare parts up front. It means planning on having a support ecosystem, maybe forms for cons your customers to support each other. Uh, I mean, think about the things that you would want as a consumer or that you would expect, right? And then and then just proactively do that. Um, Motorola is a phone manufacturer that has bucked the trend and they've said, no, actually, we want service manuals to be made available. We want parts um, they're, they're sell that you can buy a battery for a Motorola phone from Motorola. Uh, so this is compelling. That's that's ridiculous that that is like a like Motorola is the champion doing great. 
because they're selling because they're the only ones smart enough to say, look, we should make these batteries available, these spare right. parts available. Right. Like the fact that that's like the heroic trend is it's sad. It's great on Motorola, <laughs> but what it speaks to everyone else. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 frustrating, and it's 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 frustrating that the default has gone right. It thirty years ago, the default was you could fix anything, you could get uh, support from the manufacturer. Uh, the default now is is not that way. Um, <laughs> I I had a uh, uh, reporter who was doing a story on vacuums, and they were asking me what vacuum should I recommend, and I said you can't know until you take it apart and you see, and you look and say like the power switch is the common thing that fails on vacuums. Are you going to get a re- be able to get a replacement power switch for your Shark Ninja vacuum if it fails? Right. Those That's... are the important questions. And so you mentioned like Yeti and Patagonia. I feel like there's a there's an experience as a consumer when I go out and I say I want to get a really good you know cooler, you know Yeti the warranty like it's it's so much more obvious and transparent to that they're doing it the right way, but when you go out and want to buy a phone like is or a vacuum or a toaster oven like is there a a resource because to me it's like you find out after it breaks and you're like this is completely ridiculous. Yeah. But how do you find out like on the purchasing side, similar to like a Yeti Patagonia? No, and, and you're right. That's that's the problem. And that's part of where, you know, the, the, the signals are mixed. The manufacturers are not getting clear signals from consumers uh, that people want longer lasting products because you don't know. You go to Walmart to buy a toaster. Which of these five options is going to last longer? There's no way for a consumer to know. Um, so France is rolling out something new that I think is kind of cool. They're putting a repairability label on electronics when you go to buy them. And so it's a rating from 1 to 10 of how easy or hard it's going to be to fix based on availability of service information, complexity of disassembly, that kind of thing. Um, and in response, Samsung wanted to score better. And so Samsung released the service manual for their uh, their flagship uh, Note smartphone. Uh, in French, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> but uh, so that 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 shows that those kind of incentives can can help. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a a model that in France. I wonder, it, do you see that happening in the U.S. Like allowing the consumer to vote with their dollar and say, "We're going to make it really easy for people to say this is this is a good a better product than another. It's going to last longer. It's going to be easier to repair." The consumer can make that decision and then tie that to financial incentives to the company. They say, "Ah, screw it. You know, let's release the manual so we get a higher score." Right. That would be nice. Uh, consumers are going to have to demand it. Um, ideally, there would be a sticker or something on the product that would that would show. And 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 folks are working on that right before this. Uh, I was on the call working on a green cell phone standard. Um, but uh, in the U.S., I can tell you that kind of thing is a very long ways away. And so you're going to be better off uh, uh, making the decision yourself. And so the easy the easy test before you buy anything that you want you want to last, just search online to see if you can find service parts for it. And and if parts are out there, okay, right, maybe, maybe you're in good shape. If not, you know, you're buying a toaster with a spring that's going to break in three years. You're not going to be able to get a replacement spring, and then you're stuck. And then you're buying a new toaster. <laughs> then you're buying a new toaster. Goodness. Well, I'm I'm curious just as we look at this this whole problem, like what is it that uh, as you've seen trust in the manufacturer to the consumer and moving in that uh, that process, how are you seeing it? Like, what are the next, what's like the five, 20 year out? Like, what is the the solution? Not just labels, not just repair parts, but like, how do we really fundamentally change that? 
Yeah, so the idea is to to create a circular economy where um, where products uh, last a long time, and and you know we're not just in this manufacturing realm where we dig things out of the ground, we make things out of them, we use them for a little while, we toss them away. Instead, we want to focus on on maybe product service systems or or ways where everyone benefits from these things lasting longer. And 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 when you do extend the product's life, maybe that's by fixing it, maybe it's by refurbishing it. Um, that, that that's creating economic value here at home. We have to have an economic solution to this as well as kind of a practical uh, solution to frustration that consumers are having. Um, and, and, and that's, that's promising. There, there are possibilities there. Um, unfortunately, there are ways for manufacturers to cheat. <laughs> so uh, if you, you take your, you go into Apple and, and you get a new phone, they'll say, well, do you want to trade in your existing phone? And you say, sure, you give me $50 credit. That sounds great. Well, you would assume that Apple is then taking those phones and refurbishing them and reselling them. That would be the circular economy happy thing to do. Right. Uh, well, they got caught last year. They, they're actually suing their recycler in Canada uh, who they had contracted with to destroy hundreds of thousands of phones that were fully functional. And the recycler didn't destroy them. They ended up – they sold them because they said, <laughs> hey, these are viable phones, right? And Apple is suing them for not destroying these perfectly functional phones. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, so that's where, you know, you say, where does the trust go? Well, when, when manufacturers do things like that, uh, <laughs> you sort of throw your hands up in the air and you say, where, you know, is there any hope? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, goodness. Like the, the fact is you have all these hundreds, thousands of perfectly good products. Right. And just to support the bottom line of a mega corporation, we're going right. to destroy them, have this huge impact on the environment. And, and you can imagine the poor more. recycler looking at it and saying, I don't want to shred these functional iPhones. That's crazy. Um, but I can tell you, I've been in recyclers that, that do this. I was in one in the Bay Area and I watched and they had um, they had service. These Again, we're picking on Apple, but all these companies do this. Samsung does it. Everybody does it. Uh, they had hundreds of thousands of dollars of Apple service parts sitting there. Uh, that were fully functional in brand new boxes that were at you know Apple's end of uh, support line. Apple didn't want to deal with uh, supporting those older products, and so they were taking them out of the brand new cardboard boxes and pitching them in the shredder. I feel that right, right in the core. <laughs> yeah, it's so frustrating. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, and you know, Apple, please don't sue me uh, or Kyle. But do you buy do you buy any Apple products now? Um, I mean, you had your iBook. Yeah, I had my book. Uh, we use so uh, our our internal guideline is that we only buy products uh, for our team that score high on our repairability chart. So we rate products from one to ten on how easy or hard they are to fix. Uh, so it, uh, our line is a five. It has to score a five or better on our scorecard uh, for us to buy it for our folks. Um, so most of our team uses the 2012 MacBook Pro, which is the last repairable laptop that Apple made. Um, if people want a newer laptop than that, then we have them get a Dell or an HP. Well, I'm I'm sorry, but the eBay prices for the that Apple 2012 just shot up after you oh, just yeah. announced it. <laughs> no, they, they have uh, retained their value quite well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really fantastic machine. Um, uh, it's got upgradable RAM. It's got upgradable storage. I've got a two terabyte SSD in mine. It's it's wild that we live in a world where that's. You know that where that is what makes a great laptop, right? Is that you're able to upgrade it, you're able to fix it, you're right. able to. <laughs> yeah, there's a new uh, startup that just announced uh, this week. They're called Framework. Their website is Frame Work, and they have a new modular repairable laptop that looks really exciting and really cool. Um, and they, uh, it's a it's a team of former Oculus engineers um, 
who's set up. And it's cool. You can reconfigure the port. So if you're like, I want a full-size HDMI port on a laptop, which is kind of hard to get these days, you can get a module uh, to put one on there. Uh, it's it's a slick concept. That's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. So you meant uh, and you said frame dot work. Frame dot work. It also has a 1080p 60 frame per second webcam. Uh, which uh, I don't think any of us would have thought that like the big laptop shopping comparison, uh, you know, uh, uh, spec for 2021 was going to be the webcam, but it turns out it is. (laughs) Making me zoomable. Yeah. (laughs) So is that uh, one through 10 scoring that you mentioned? Is that available online? Like, do you offer that? I fix it. Yeah, so you can go on iFixit, go to iFixit.com, and you can hit the right to repair section and see we have repairability scoring for laptops, smartphones, and tablets on iFixit. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that service to not just consumers, but to the environment, to the world. Yeah, we try to get the information out there so people you know, have that option. It would be nice if it were you know, available on the shelf at retailers, uh, but not in the U.S. yet. Uh, but you can go online and, and figure it out. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, in our final moments together, you know, what do you want to ensure everyone hears about the importance of trust and what we can do to create a better, more trusting world in this right to repair, but even just broader? Yeah, I mean, I would say believe in yourself. Uh, so if the manufacturers are trying to tra- take away our freedoms, like step up, uh, uh, you know, you'd be amazed at what you can fix yourself. Um, and you just have to believe in yourself. So uh, uh, we have so many people that have fixed their phones that would have never thought that they could, where the manufacturer said, no, you can't. Uh, and, and we said, sure, you can. Here's step-by-step instructions. It's not that hard. Um, and I think I think that's fun. If we want a resilient society, we have to start trusting ourselves a little bit more. We have to start, you know, expanding our c- capacity and saying, you know, hey, maybe I don't have to hire a plumber to fix the toilet. Maybe that's something that I can do myself. Um, uh, that I mean, you're not only maybe saving some money, but you're also sort of expanding a capability and, and teaching yourself. Um, and I would say a follow-on to that is, is trust that the internet will be there uh, to teach you when you need to. I, we call this just-in-time learning. Like, you don't have to know how to fix a toilet right now. Uh, it's fine, right? But when your toilet breaks, you know that if you Google it, there's going to be information. I absolutely love that. I mean, just belie- believing yourself and knowing this just-in-time learning models is brilliant, right? You don't need to have to know how to do everything. You just need to know it's there, it's accessible, and look it up. Just YouTube it. Go, you know, go to ifixit.com and say, yep. how do I, how do I fix this? That's exactly right. It's, that's wonderful. Well, Kyle, I so much appreciate your time. You know, some of the things that I've uh, gotten from this is just recognizing the environmental impact of consuming new technology, not just how it's disposed of, but just every time you purchase it and how there's, we are making a huge progress in this right to repair for, for consumers, but also in the commercial space for farmers and ventilators that are saving lives in hospitals and that there's something that each and every one of us can do by talking to our legislators, giving them a call, advocating uh, for this from policy side, but also voting with our dollars and looking at the technology that is the most repairable, Doing, looking up, seeing if there are repair parts available, going to ifixit.com and seeing, you know, what's the score one through 10? Is it actually repairable? So just many, many takeaways. I hope to everybody that's listening in, uh, if there's any takeaways that that uh, you got from this, and of course, uh, I almost forgot, you got to believe in yourself, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you, and with that, if there's anything that uh, that our listeners have heard that uh, you want to share, please let us know, comment them, tweet them at us. We'd love to hear them. Might just share it on the next episode. 
And Kyle, our fi- my qu- final question for you is, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you online to hear more of your perspective? Yeah, well, f- follow I- ifixit.com. We've got tons of great information. We're writing more. Uh, we got a great story up right now about the French Repairability Index. Uh, and then if you want to follow me, I am at kweens on Twitter. Kweens, and how do you spell that? W-I-E-N-S. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. I so, so much appreciate you diving into this topic that I think every single person needs to hear and needs to understand. Thank you for joining us and to all those tuning in, join us next time on The Trust Revolution.